0: Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Christmas And uh, preparing ourselves to overeat this week. Can I get an amen? If you haven't bought your stretchy pants, I encourage you to buy those this week at some point. And uh, we're going to have a good time today. If you're, if you're new to our community, this is uh, Capital Church. We love people here. We're all about people. We love God's word, his presence. And uh, we, love, we just love everybody. We really do. And so if you're here today, you're new, you're visiting us, we want to say welcome. Uh, maybe you've never been to church before your entire life. What you can expect right now is we're going to open up the Bible to Philippians chapter 2. We've been in a series uh, out of the book of Philippians that Pastor Chris has done a masterful job uh, leading us and guiding us through the book of Philippians. How many love Pastor Chris and Kelly Wilde? Would you give him a good hand clap this morning? And uh, just doing a phenomenal job leading the church and uh, loving the series. And actually, what we're, uh, we're, he asked me just earlier this week, he said, Mark, would you mind? Uh, would you be able to come in and uh, just to kind of Teach out of the first 17 verses out of chapter 2. So, if you're new to our church, I'm gonna read the Bible for about a minute and a half. I'm gonna pray real quick, because the great scholar and theologian, MC Hammer, he said we have to pray just to make it today. Can I get an amen? And so, I'll pray real quick. And then, after I pray, I'm gonna tell a couple of stories. And the idea would be this morning is that uh, we wouldn't just study about God, but we'd experience Him. I think it's good to study God. Can I get an amen? But I do think that at some degree, we have to realize that we're in a relationship with Jesus. And it just be almost like your kids coming home from school every day, staring at you and saying, I want to learn more about you today. There's some level you just say, you know, son, daughter, I want you to love me and enjoy my company. And I think that we come to church every week, not just to study God, come on somebody, but to actually enjoy his love, enjoy his, his presence, and to leave looking and resembling like more who he is. And so today's going to be a good day. Uh, I'm not a teacher as much as a preacher. They say teachers tell it preachers yell it. And so if I get a little bit crazy up in here today, forgive me in advance. If I talk fast, it's because I'm a youth pastor, and your kids have a short attention span. And so it's your fault. And so uh, if you got your Bible this morning, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to pick up. Got about 25 minutes to talk with you this morning. If you get to Philippians chapter 2, say, I'm there. I want to talk to you incidentally today about uh, your lights, your lights, your lights. Who has their Christmas lights up? Anybody? Ooh, there's a few overachievers in here. God bless you. Kidding. That's awesome. Uh, Christmas lights. Who has them up just from last year? Because you're already prepared. (laughs) God bless you, too. Solid. Tracy's awesome. Um, If you got your Bible this morning, Philippians chapter two, I want to talk to you about putting your lights up. Putting your lights up today. Putting your lights up. It's holiday season. Thought it'd be appropriate. God speaks to me like this, and so here's my shot at expository preaching this morning. If you got your Bible, Exodus chapter, (laughs) Philippians (laughs) chapter two, coffee's still kicking in. Therefore, verse one, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection or mercy, fulfill my joy, Paul writes, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. Say it with me, one accord. Be of one mind. Say, one mind. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other people better than themselves. It's tough to do. Let each of you look not only at your own interest, but also for the interest of other people. Let this mind, this mind, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form. Someone say the form. Do you know that God wasn't a man? But he took on the form of a man. One of the most probably beautiful passages in the New Testament, we're getting ready to read right here. Coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man he, he, Jesus, humbled himself, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on, on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Last few verses. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, all, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out. Someone say, work out. Who just felt a little bit condemned right there? That's tough, man. It's the time of the year. Whose favorite machine is the vending machine? Come on. My gosh. Work out. People ask if I work out. I say I've been work. I've been walking with the Lord for 15 years, and uh, <laughs> work out. We're gonna have a good time this morning. Work out. He says Mo- that's the emphasis here. Your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God. Someone say it is God. Very important verse. We don't usually quote it when people try to scare you into salvation. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things, say with me, all things. where so it gets interesting, without. Without, it's interesting. Do all things. You would think that he would have focused on the positive evocative, not the negative, but he says do all things, not with, but he says do all things without, two things, complaining and disputing. That, what's the outcome of this? You may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine. Someone say shine. Shine like what, Paul? Shine like lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life, holding fast the word of life, holding fast the what? This is Jesus. This is the Bible. So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run my race in vain or labored in vain. Yes, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the sacrifice of service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. I want to talk to you this morning about putting your lights up, and I believe it's going to be beneficial to you this morning. I won't waste your time. If you get bored today, uh, you're boring. Because I'm not a boring preacher. Can I get an (laughs) amen? Uh, This morning, if you hear something good, I encourage you to say something. Say, I like that. I like that. That's good. Amen. Go ahead. Say something warming you up this morning. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to speak at my favorite church in the whole world, the church that I was uh, really committed in my life to you at. I thank you for the last 15 years of being in this house, and I ask that, Lord, this morning, you do something great, you do something special. I pray whether we're far from you or close that you would meet us where we are. Show us your power, your majesty, and your love, and I pray we leave this place looking more like Jesus. And somebody at Capitol Church said a good old-fashioned. Can we just give God a hand clap that we smoked Air Force? Come on, we smoked We smoked Air Force like a pack of cigarettes. Come on, somebody. Praise God. I can't stand Air Force, man. I love Air Force, the academy and everything, but just the football team. They've beaten us too many times. And, uh, and it was good to see victory, decisive victory over our enemies. And uh, we're praying this week that God would just tame the Bulldogs. Can I get an amen? Fresno State's going down. Can I get an amen? God doesn't care about football. I know, but I do. Amen. If you could, uh, this morning. You ever, uh, I don't know, there's this, uh, I don't know, universal kind of uh, truth, uh, I, I f- I should call not a truth, a fact, about Americans that there's been an age-old argument. This argument's older than your grandma. It's older than your grand- great-grandma, your great-great-grandma. This argument's been around for a long time, and the argument goes around this time of the year, how soon is too soon to put up Christmas decor? How soon is too soon? When is, it, when is it too early to put on Mariah Carey's Christmas album? When is it too soon to put your tree up? Listen to me. This, I can hear the division in the room. It's a divided crowd right now. This is my point, people. There is a divided audience in America. Because there's some of you, like my wife, call her Mrs. Claus this time of year. She's decking the halls and follow la 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 She, uh, she started singing Christmas music while it's still warm out. She wanted to put our tree up like two months ago. I'm like, no, someone has to hold the fort down. Someone has to stand for truth. Come on, somebody. And my wife, she's like, Mark, when are we putting our lights up? We moved into a new neighborhood and, uh, our old house, it was difficult. I don't know if you ever had a house like this. Our old house had a a really steep roof. And so I didn't really like putting, I like Christmas lights, but I didn't like putting them up because my life insurance policy isn't big enough. It was dangerous. I would pray extensively when I put Christmas lights up at my old house. And for that reason, I didn't put them up very often. And it was just dangerous. It was cold. It's, uh, you know, it's just funny. Why do we put lights up in the most dangerous time of the year? Can we not celebrate in the summer? Come on. There's not ice and snow and natural elements against you. But uh, we moved into a new neighborhood, and everyone in our new neighborhood—like literally everyone except us and one other house—has lights up already. Fancy lights. I'm like, dang it. You ever been like, you ever been peer pressured into something? Like, wasn't planning on it. Wasn't planning on doing it this early. But I mean, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. People are already putting it up. My neighbor's got this beautiful Christmas tree in his window that mocks us. Every time I drive by, I feel condemned. Like we're not good enough, and uh, it's just funny, man. I, I I think it's you know put lights up. I I don't know if you've been if you're old enough to remember the light strands that were engineered in hell by Lucifer himself, that were wired in such a way that if one bulb wasn't fully screwed in. Who invented this light strand? The light company. It's good for business, right? I can't tell you how many strands of light we threw away because of one demonic bulb, one dysfunctional, burnt out, broken bulb. And I was, I was reading through Philippians chapter two and forgive me, this is the way God kind of speaks to me, but I started thinking about uh, my life and just kind of what's happened in our life. I'm putting lights up this week. And so if you have a business and you just want to bless somebody, <laughs> kidding, kidding, I kid, but seriously though, let's talk afterwards. Uh, I, uh, I remember, I just remember I was was praying through this and I was thinking about how it's so true. I felt like even in the the context of community, in the context of life, that if we don't have all of our bulbs screwed in, that it can affect all the lights in our life. And this morning I, I was reading through the first 17 passages of Philippians chapter two. There's really two major bulbs that he deals with in the beginning that he says, if you put these two bulbs in, you're gonna shine well. And then he goes on to say, there's two bulbs you wanna take out. These broken bulbs will affect the way that you shine. And I wanna just, if it's okay this morning, I think it's really important as believers that we don't just exist, but that we shine. One of my friends says this phrase, it's powerful. He says, if you're not helping, you're not helping. And as Christians, we have to, we have to shine. And one of the worst things we can do is say, I believe in God, I love Jesus, but I don't live like I do. I think sometimes we do more damage to the kingdom of God by not doing what we're supposed to do, which is to shine. Jesus said, You are the light of the, the world. You're like a city on a hill that cannot be. It's interesting that you start reading through about lights. Lights don't talk, they shine. Are you with me today? And it's interesting. I know we're supposed to preach, we're sent to preach to the ends of the earth, but I think at some level, as believers, we have to do more than just what we say. We have to actually put off a, we have to put off a light. People should be able to see. I don't know about you, but my daughters, I have a two-year-old which is like a blender missing a lid. And uh, my Chloe, she loves she loves Christmas lights, man. She loves Christmas lights. She likes to go to Christmas neighborhood, neighborhoods that are full of Christmas lights. And isn't it fun? You take your kids, you load up, you get hot cocoa, and you're driving through neighborhoods, you're listening to Christmas music because it's appropriate then. And uh, you're driving through neighborhoods with your kids, and, and just, you know, my, my little girls, they light up. It's like, pretty, 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 pointing out the window, pretty, pretty. And it's interesting, I just thought a thing about this. I live in a neighborhood that I didn't wanna put lights up you know, this early, but I'm gonna put lights up tomorrow unless someone in the church has a business. <laughs> Kidding, people, seriously, though, talk to me afterwards. I, uh, I'm putting lights up tomorrow, but you know why? It's interesting because when a, when a whole neighborhood puts lights up, it attracts people to wanna to come and see your neighborhood. I don't know what it is, but we live in a world that celebrates great lights, and I believe that as Christians, our responsibility isn't to be a church with one or two bulbs. We're not going to be a community of faith at Capital Church that there's four or five of us that are shining. But our commitment into this valley is, is that we're going to shine the light, the hope, and the love. Are you hearing me today? Of our Lord, our Savior, who's still alive, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? And, and he says, this is, you, want to, you want to shine. There's really, there's really two, two bulbs, two lights that we have to be intentional about putting into our lives. I say intentional because our human default setting is that we, we, we deviate from these two lights. We're wired in such a way that we try to retract and we re- retreat from these really, really two important, significant lights in our life. The first light he talks about is found. He talks about it in the very beginning of Philippians chapter 2. is He says, I want all of you to have one. I want you to have one mind, and I want you to be in one accord. One mind. One accord, You know what one accord, one mind means? It literally means unity. Someone say unity. I believe one of the hardest things to to, to manufacture, you don't manufacture it, one of the hardest things to maintain. It's one of my points. Do you know that nowhere in the Bible it says to manufacture unity? Nowhere in the Bible does it say create unity. It says to keep unity. It says to maintain unity. But we as human beings don't have the power to manufacture it. You know, unity is a really powerful thing. It says in Psalms 133 that how good and how pleasant it is for people to dwell together in unity. You know what unity means? It means oneness, oneness. It says it's good and it's pleasant. The reason why marriages go bad is because unity leaves the house. There's no more oneness, there's two-ness. Anything with more than one head is a monster. Are you following me? And, and you got to kill that thing. Listen to me. There's something powerful about getting one mind, one head. The word, the Greek phrase one accord is one of the, one of the more be- beautiful Greek phrases in the Bible. It actually comes from a word that's like uh, omna, therma, something rather. But it has the word therma. And it's the word that we get thermostat from. It literally means, therma means, it's the word we get thermostat. That one accord has the ability to set the temperature. To set a good temperature to create an atmosphere that's warm. The Bible says where people are unified, God has to command a blessing. Who wants a blessed marriage? Unity. Who wants a blessed business? Unity. Who wants your family to be serving God, all your kids? Come on, someone stay with me. Unity. You're like, Mark, I'm not getting excited about unity, but if you knew what I knew what unity does for you, you'd be on the edge of your seats right now. You'd say, God, give me more unity in my life. We get restless when we get out of unity. We get fearful when we get out of unity. Unity is one of the most valuable things that we can have. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 11, verses one through nine, it tells us a story about the Tower of Babel. Now, Babel was constructed in, in Babel. It's Babylonian. It's the beginning of the Babylonian. Tough crowd. Um, it, they, they built this, they constructed this, this, this tower in Babel, and, the, and it starts off in verse one by saying, and all the people on the earth had one language. One language. Babel went sideways when they wanted to build the building to make a name for themselves. Here's what I know about God is God has no problem with us building great things. He has a problem. We want to build great things to make our name great. God wants you to build to make his name great. If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, I'll take a Baptist head nod. I'll take a Presbyterian eyebrow raise. Come on, give me something today. I'm telling you that God wants you to build something great, but he wants you to build it to make his name great. God comes down, you know what the Bible says? He, he saw what they were doing. You know what God said? He goes, nothing is impossible for the people that are unified. They'll build a tower that reaches to heaven. It's in Dubai today. <laughs> it's a joke a joke. show's tall, it's Birch Dubai. I, but they're going to build a huge tower. You know why? Because the Bible says that where there's unity, where everyone's on the same page, they can accomplish anything. You know what your business needs? It needs Unity. You know what your family needs? Unity. Do you know when you and someone else get on the same page and say, we're not two, we're one. Jesus said, Father, I pray that you would make them one, even as me and you are one. Do you know that God's prayer for Christians is unity? You know what the devil does to churches? Tries to divide. You know what he does in families? Tries to divide. Isn't it interesting that when families, they spend more of their energy fighting against each other instead of for each other? This is the devil's playground, is disunity. And I learned this that unity requires one language. And the fastest way to disunify something is to communicate the language or to take people's words out of context. Are you following me? What does the devil do to Jesus? Has God really, what's he doing? He's perverting the oneness of God. He's trying to, what did he say in the garden? Uh, you won't surely die. God knows he's trying to, are you following me right now? He's trying to divide the motive of heaven. And so this morning, I feel like the first bulb, if we put this bulb into our lives, we will shine well, is we have to fight for unity. Unity is a fight, people. If it was easy to be unified, we'd always be unified. That's my prayer for America. God, we're called the United States. Can we start acting like it? United, unity, oneness, are you following me today? God, make us one. Unity. Now, this is the important thing about unity. Unity doesn't mean you always agree on everything, but unity, when you, when you contend for a spirit of unity, it means this. You can write this down today. Is unity is choosing to disagree agreeably. When you're in unity, you choose to disagree agreeably. And it also means this, that when you're not in, in, in when you're disunity in, in, in something in your area of your life, is you attack the issue, not the person. The number one problem with most of us is when we get into a divisive situation is, is we'll attack a person and not the issue. Come on, this is honest this morning. And I'm not lying to you today. I'm telling you that the, the, one of the, the things that we do, we get, we get our light turned off, the light breaks, the light burns out, is when we stop contending for unity. Unity's tough, man. It is because it requires us to pray a lot. Because I'll be honest, people rub you the wrong way sometimes. I rub you the wrong way, you rub me. It's just crazy. That's the way that we're wired. We're humans, we're flawed. And so what we have to do when we're in disunity is the Bible says that we're supposed to pray. Why did Jesus say pray for your enemies? Because he knew the only way that you would love them beyond the problem is by acquiring the love that he'll give you as you pray for them. You will never love the unlovely without God's love. And the only way that we overcome divisive situations is, is when we pray for them. One of my, one of my, one of my teachers in college, he's in, Bible, in our intern program, he said, he said, I want you, when you have an enemy, I want you to pray over that person. There's someone in your life right now that bothers you. Pray for them every day. One of the brave students raised his hand. He said, what do I pray over my enemy? You know what he said? It's so powerful. He said, pray for them today the way that you'd want them to pray for you you know what happens when you pray for your enemy, the blessing that you want someone to pray over you? What happens is this crazy thing happens, is you start seeing that person the way that God sees them. And it's interesting, because you'll actually start liking them. There was one guy that drove me crazy I went to, uh, to interns with, and he actually ended up in my wedding. He's one of my groomsmen. And our story was, I didn't like you for a long time. And then I prayed for you, amen? He's like, same, dude, I hated you. <laughs> All right, Works. You're a little more honest than I was. I, uh, I believe the first bulb we put in, if we want to shine, is this bulb called unity. He says, do it with oneness, one accord, one mind, love one another. And then goes on in verse three, and he says, and esteem one another higher, better than yourselves, and lowliness, lowliness. Pastor Chris has been saying this powerful phrase. I believe C.S. Lewis coined it. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Second bulb, I believe that human beings aren't naturally inclined to be gravitating towards, is uh, this, this this bulb called humility. It's going to get quiet in here for a second. Is that all right? Humility's tricky because if you think you have it, you don't. I don't need this point. Well, actually, you do. It's funny, isn't it? Humility's tricky. If you think you have it, you you don't. And if you're ready to write a book on humility, you already failed. What book did you write? I wrote a book on how to master humility. No big deal. You're, you already failed. Humility's a big deal, man. Humility's tricky. It's hard because, because our, our natural inclination is, is we, we often tend to do this, is we think higher of ourselves and lower of other people. I found that people that gossip a lot, they believe more about themselves and they have more uh, more confidence in what their opinion. I, I actually tweeted this earlier today. I thought, my God, help me, Jesus, to to date my opinions and marry Your Word. So I think in America, what we do is we date the Bible and we marry our opinions. It's getting quiet up in the Presbyterian Church. Better keep moving. I uh, I think it's important that unity is such a big deal. is 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 It's it's hard. It's hard to to master, but. But James, the brother of Jesus, says, You know when you're at your strongest? You are at your strongest when you are the most humble. For James 4 6, he writes, For God resists the proud, but he gives grace. Who wants God's grace in your life? Do you know who God gives grace to? He gives grace to the humble. And I find in my own life, I'm I'm not saying that I've mastered this because I haven't, but I'm just, I wanna share what the Bible teaches about humility. Here's some biblical ideas about humility. And, and the first idea, I'm just give you like four of them today. Is the Bible teaches us about humility? Uh, not to uh, number one. Uh, one of the best things you can do is assess yourself. Assess yourself honestly. Assess yourself honestly. Romans twelve three says, "Don't think too highly of yourself, higher than you ought to think." Problem with most people that that struggle with humility is they believe all of their good press. Let's say this way, they, they, they believe too much of what their mama said about them. Proof of this is by watching American Idol. She walks in, you know right away she can't sing. And then they ask her, what are you gonna sing? She says, Whitney Houston. You're like, all right, go ahead. And they start singing, it's a train wreck. Who's watched this episode? It's, all, it's painful. I'm like, I'm embarrassed for you and anybody that knows you. And then the million dollar question comes on the scene, right? Simon Cow, only honest one on the on the panel. He says this honest question, who told you you could sing? My mom. You, of course your mom told you you could sing. And she told you that you could go to space. And she told you that you could do everything, right? That's mom's jobs, is to lie to you all the time. <laughs> to build your self-esteem. Are you hearing me today? This, I'm joking, but I'm just, I think the problem with many people that get into this, this arrogance and this conceit is they, they, they believe everything their mom says about them and they don't ever listen to any negative critiques. They don't listen to any outside voices. All they do is they have, a, they have an unjust assessment of themselves and they become arrogant because of it. Do you not know how educated I am? Do you not know how, how, how amazing, how gifted I am? Did no one tell you how incredible I am? Do you know how blessed you are to be standing next to me right now? We don't have an honest assessment. The Bible teaches us to have an honest assessment of yourself. The second thing it says to do is, it says don't take yourself too seriously. One of the great, great secrets to humility, according to the Bible, is it says this, it says in, a, it says in Deuteronomy eight thirteen. And fourteen, It says, when your silver and your gold increase, don't let your heart become proud. One of the greatest things we can do is not let success go to our head and don't let failure go to your heart. Most people, what happens, we experience some level of success, especially if you're first generation, is we let success go to our head. And then if you fail, you let failure go to your heart. One of my, one of my mentors taught me this years ago. He said, Mark, don't, when something goes well in your life, don't take credit for it. Give God credit for it. If you do something good, say, praise God. And then if something doesn't go good, you can give God credit for that too. But the problem is when we, take, when we take credit for success, we also must take credit for failure. And many people live crippled lives because of a failure that they had. Instead of saying, God, I wish you would have helped out more here. Or, man, God, I, man, I, I tried my best to teach and to preach didn't go very well. God, I and we, we take credit for both. If it goes well, come on, someone say, praise God. If it didn't go as well, come on, someone say, praise God. In all seasons, in all things, God gets the credit. This keeps us grounded. It keeps us humble. I think some people get so serious. They take themselves so serious. I'm going to give credit for winning and for losing. Can I get an amen? God, help me when I'm losing. And God, you take the credit when I'm winning. The third thing that it teaches about, about humility is, is to celebrate the significance of other people. Celebrate the significance of other people. Philippians 2.3 says, what does it say? Esteem other people better than yourself. Can we just be honest as Americans? We're not very good at this. We're scared that if someone else excels us, is doing better than us, then there's less of the cosmic pie of blessing for us left. Isn't it funny? You know why? Because we're taught supply and demand in school. Economics teaches us that if, there's, if, there's, if, if they have more, that's less for you. And that's why we get weird. We go to someone's house and we're like to our spouse, man, do you see all those pillows on their bed? They must be doing really well right now. Must be nice, preacher. All those pillows on. Look at that comforter. Man, they must be doing well. And we get cynical and we get critical. Did you see they just went on vacation? Man, must be nice, preacher. I like using that because that's the number one stereotype that I get is I'm, I'm a preacher, so I'm supposed to be poor and destitute, live on the streets somewhere, so I'm sorry I'm not. But I, uh, it's just funny, we get so weird and we think, man, well, God's blessing him or blessing her, so you know what, I don't like, I don't like them anymore. Because if they have more, that means I have, can I, can I just expose a, a, a big lie? That God is not limited to resources. And that if God takes care of one of your friends, that does not mean there's less for you. It probably means God wants to inspire you to believe for what's happening to them. Could it be the reason why Mary uh, had her her cousin come over, Elizabeth, and and the angel, when he told Mary she was gonna get pregnant, the angel Gabriel says, hey, and by the way, you know your cousin that couldn't get pregnant? She's now in the sixth month of her pregnancy. Could it be the reason why Gabriel told Mary about her cousin that couldn't get pregnant was to say, I don't want you to be jealous of someone else's miracle. I want their miracle to inspire you to believe for your own. Yeah. But what do we do? We get cynical. Right. Oh, it must be nice. It must be nice. Philippians says to celebrate other people's success. If you're the smartest person you know, you need to get a bigger group of friends. If you're the most gifted person you know, you need to get more friends. I don't wanna be the smartest person in my group. I don't wanna be the best in my group. Are you following me? And I'll be honest, the people that draw, people that are less gifted than they are around them are insecure people. Because inferiority is, oh, you know what it is? In fear is in fear. You know why people get inferior? It's because they live in fear well, they're better than me or she's more gifted than I am or if they do more or if they go on a better trip than I do or they get a nicer house, it's in fear. Is you believe the lie that God can't take care of you? Are you with me today? Is I believe that humility is celebrating other people's, other people's accomplishes, accomplishments uh, uh, is, is important. And the, and the fourth thing the Bible teaches about humility is to, uh, is to speak humbly, speak humbly. Uh, I don't like social media, uh, the ads in social media. Inevitably, there's like some business guy, business girl that's driving some exotic car that's trying to tell you how awesome they are and how much money they make and how that if you you subscribe $6 a month that you'll get rich too in two weeks and they'll give you a a vitamin that gives you a six pack overnight and they have all these empty promises, but I just, I don't know what it is, man. We live in a society that's so good at singing their own praises. You know Proverbs 27 says? Solomon, smartest guy ever lived, he said, hey, let someone else's mouth praise you and not your own lips. Let a stranger give you praise and not your own mouth. And I think it's so important that we have to speak, speak humbly. First King, or First Samuel chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible, Bible reads, let no arrogance come out of your mouth. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the what? So we're gonna put this second bulb in called humility. And then we're gonna transition here, and he goes on and says, let this mind be in you. you know that Jesus was so humble that he put on humanity for us? He didn't just just become a human, he became a servant. And I'll be honest, in America, I think we define success the wrong way. We believe that success is becoming great and you have people that serve you. But Jesus said becoming great is serving. And if you don't define success the right way, you'll actually chase the wrong thing. What did he say? He says in Mark chapter nine, he says, greatest of all is the servant of all. He doesn't define like greatness as having servants. He defines greatness as serving. So we say this way, we don't serve to become great. We are great when we serve. It's, It's humble. Are you still with me today? So the second bulb we put in is this bulb called humility. And then the the, the two bulbs we gotta take out, he goes on, he says, I want you to work out, verse 12, work out, work out, say it with me, work out. I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I've heard preachers like scare people with this verse and basically like I wanna just coddle in the corner with my thumb in my mouth and and just be scared and God, he wants me to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I think there's a level of reverence that God deserves and we owe him. But I think simultaneously, if you read the next verse, you understand the context. Can I ask two questions today? Who wants to do the will of God in your life? Who wants to please God? Okay, so let's read it. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That what? Watch verse 13, it's very important. That you, uh, for it is God who works in you. So he wants you to work out what? God wants you to work out what he's already put in you. God wants you to work out what he's already put in you to do what? To will God's will. And to do, to do what? His good pleasure. Do you know that God's put everything inside of you to do his will and to please him? What do we have to do then, Mark? We have to, we have to work it out. We have to let God work out what he's already put in us. Do you know the moment, is there any Christians in the room when you make a noise real quick? Do you know the moment you put your faith in Jesus, God puts something in you. He put the ability, the grace, the gifts, the talents to work out his will and his good pleasure. Our responsibility is to work it out. Well, you say, Mark, how do I do that? He says, all right, here's how you do it. Take out two bulbs. Here's the next verse. To to work out according to his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without, what? Two bulbs, complaining and disputing or grumbling. Or might say murmuring and grumbling in your translation. Can I just be really honest and vulnerable in church? Our human, without reading our Bible, without spending time with Jesus, our human default ringtone, so to speak, is when bad things happen to us, we complain. When we don't like something, we murmur. You know what murmur is in the Greek language? It literally means to speak mischievous things by yourself to people that aren't a part of the solution. It means to be with your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your best friend, and you're talking about someone that's not there, and it's rooted in two things. It's rooted in fear, and it's rooted in it's it's rooted in selfishness, because you think you know more than the person that's not there. Is this all right to be honest in church? You know what he says. He says do two things. These two bulbs will, will they'll throw all the lights in your strand off. Who wants to shine? What do you do to shine, Mark? You gotta walk in unity, you fight for it. You gotta walk in humility. And what we have to do is we have to say, you know what, come hell or high water, I'm not gonna be a complainer, a murmurer. I'm not gonna be mischievous, divisive, sow seeds of discord. And I'll, if I could be vulnerable for a moment, I think, in looking at my own life, it's like when the presence of God is on me and I'm in a prayer time and I'm reading my Bible, I get in faith and I know that everything's gonna be fine. Isn't it amazing how that works? And then you leave God's presence and you start getting about your everyday life. You start listening to stuff, hearing stuff, radio ads, people at work. And it's like they start just chiseling the faith off of you to the point that you're like, where did my faith go? And now I'm not talking in faith, I'm talking in fear. And now I'm not believing that God's gonna take care of everything, and he is. Why does this happen? It's because we allow to get outside of God's presence and we start complaining and we start murmuring. I'm telling you right now, hardest two things to avoid in life is complaining, murmuring, and being, uh, being uh, disgruntled or being, uh, what's the word? Being disruptive, disputing, disputing. It's so hard, it's so hard. He says that if you can avoid these two things, if you can avoid these two things, that you'll become, someone say become. Band can come forward, I'm about, I'm about finished. That you might become blameless, harmless, children of God. Do you know that if we just take these two bulbs out and say, you know what, God, things are going hard, it's hard right now. Are you saying, preacher, that I can't vent? I would actually, I would challenge you. I think Christianity isn't about venting. I think we all, who's ever experienced heavy emotions? We all do. So what, what do we do, Mark? You say we can't vent? No, I'm saying, yeah, don't vent. I think you should pray. I think venting is the world's way of, of, of dealing with issues, that way that Christians deal with issues through prayer. You know what what gossip is? Gossip is talking to people about problems only God can solve. That's a good definition for gossip right there. I'm gossip. I'm talking about her, talking about him, talking about them, slandering them. Why? Because you're trying to fix a problem with someone that doesn't have the power to do it. You know what our job is when we're, we're feeling disgruntled? Is we bring our frustrations we bring that accusation against our boss, our our, our coworker, our, our, our best friend, our family member. When you're struggling, you know what we do? Is we get in our vehicle or our shower or our bed or we get in our, our prayer closet and we say, God, this is driving me bananas. But I'm not gonna go vomit on my friends about a problem that only you can solve. And I'll be honest, the reason why some of your spouses, their attitude smells like throw up or vomit is because you've been throwing up on them every day. And I've learned this. I've learned this in, in marriages. One of the worst things husbands can do when they have a bad day is come home and throw up about all their coworkers. Because you know what happens is the next day he apologized to everybody and they're fine. And guess who hates all the coworkers still? When I do pre-marriage counseling, I always tell them this. I say, if you're gonna, if you're having an argument, my wife and I personally, we don't argue. I just tell her why she's wrong. And uh, joke, joke. She's not here, I don't think. Um, is, uh, uh I always tell people premarital, one of the worst things you can do when you have a fight with your spouse is go run in your parents because you're their baby. And they're going to forgive you if you did something stupid. But you know what they're going to do to your, 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 their son-in-law or daughter-in-law? They're going to hold that against you forever. Can I prove it to you? Remember when you are in high school, junior high, and your best friend and his girlfriend got in a fight? And your best friend comes to you and he says, that girl, she's the devil. You're like, that's right, she is. And the next day they make up and guess who still hates the devil? You do. I think one of the worst things that we do when we get mad is we bring our heated frustrations to people and we throw up on them. And then we wonder why they smell like vomit. It's like, man, why do they, why do they have so bad attitude about me? Why, why, do they, why are they so weird? It's because people have been bringing accusation after accusation. Are you following me today? Bible says, don't, do, don't take that complaining, that murmuring. You know what the word blameless and harmless means? It literally means that there's no mischief in you. You know God's desire is for his kids? To shine in such a way that we're not mischievous. We're not the ones causing divisive things at work. We're not the ones that at at our family gatherings are talking bad and sowing distrust in people. We are the ones that are mischief-free. Who wants to be a peacemaker? Last time I checked in Matthew chapter five, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons and daughters of God. Peter writes, do your best to live at peace with all men. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Come on, be a peacemaker. And I'll I'll finish here today is he says, he says, um, put off these things. He says, don't complain, don't murmur. And he finishes it off in verse 16 by saying, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. Can I tell you the secret today of this whole message? Is the truth is we don't manufacture our own light. We're being honest theologically, you are not your own light bulb. If I'm being theologically accurate, he says you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine. Do you know that you don't create your own light? If we're being probably more technical, you're more of a reflector than a light bulb. You know what reflectors do is they magnify the light of something else. And I I believe that Christianity is not about me getting alone. I'm becoming a light, becoming a light. You're gonna be a light today. You're gonna be a light. You're gonna shine today. We don't do that. You spend time with Jesus, and you know what? His, his light gets on you. And when he shines on you, it's almost like, you ever seen those glow in the, glow in the dark, you know, light, light dials? You put it up at the light, and they turn the light off. What happens? It's still glowing. You know, Christianity is more about glowing than creating our own shine. And I believe that when you get into the presence of God, it says Moses came down from the mountain, and he had a glow about him. It says on Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, his clothes were like dazzling, bleached, white clothing. Why? He was in the presence of God. And when you get into the presence of God, you begin to glow with his essence. You know what the world needs? is some Christians that don't look like everybody else. And I love it. He says, hey, if you're gonna gonna shine, he says, do all things without. And this is what I'll just emphasize as I close. I actually believe that you are shining at times, is predicated more on what we stay away from than what we pursue. I think most of us, the reason why Paul says, and do all things without. Why didn't he say do all things with preaching? Do all things with praying. Do all things with prophesying. Why did he say, hey, you really wanna shine like your father's kids, do all things without. Because Paul knew that you actually stand out more from other people when you don't do what everybody else does. Ecclesiastes, you are, a, Ecclesiastes is you are called out. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people pulled out of darkness to proclaim the praises. Are you following me today? Is is you're called out. And I think, man, if I can make a, if I can make it a, just a broad assessment of most Christians in America today is we're not really called out of anything. We're the same unbiblical mind as everybody else. And we want to make Jesus decisions without spending time with Jesus. We want the benefits of Jesus, but none of the responsibilities. Can I just can I just get like the God blessing and then go about my normal life? Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Here's the oxymoron of Christianity. It's free, but it'll cost you everything. It's free. Grace, God-given gr- grace. I was talking to a guy this week. He's in the middle of this, you know, bad situation and just kind of talking about divorce and I'm just trying to like walk him through. I'm like, hey, I I don't know if you're making godly decisions. I said, when was the last, and this is this simple, if you want to write this down, when was the last time you did something that you didn't want to do because God told you to do it? I think in the American church day, we're like, I don't know. I I only do things I want to do. I think Christianity is not about doing what we want to do. It's about doing what God wants us to do. I asked another question. I said, when was the last time you didn't do something that you wanted to do? Because God said, don't do that. I don't, well, I do, I don't ever have that problem because I just do whatever I want, whenever I want. You're living less like a Christian and just more like yourself. Here's another, three big questions that I'm really challenged by. I'm like, all right, when was the last time I apologized to God for not honoring his agenda? I'll just be honest, man. I think most of man. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm pointing the gun at myself right now. I think we're all guilty of this gospel of comfort. I just want a comfortable life, Mark. I don't want to stress out. I don't want to strain. I don't want to take risk. I just want to, I want to live in Idaho. I want, to, I want to downsize. I want to pay off my mortgage. I want to take vacations three times a year. I want to live in Phoenix during the wintertime. I want to, I want to, and we just want to live. And I'm not hating on that. I'm just saying, if we're not careful, we'll worship comfort more than God. And the goal of this life isn't to just be safe. I stopped praying for my kids. God, keep them safe. I started praying for Kenzie every day when I dropped her off at school. God, don't just keep her safe. Make her dangerous. Help her to push back darkness at her school. Make hell scared of this little girl. Make her not only safe, make her dangerous. Are you following me today? This is faith. Would you stand your feet today? Make me a light hope I'm not making you feel too uncomfortable, but I, do, I think correction and I think conviction is good. People say sometimes, I don't like going to church because I feel uncomfortable. And I say, well, that's why I don't like the gym. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.